You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Well, good evening. How are we all doing here? Have you guys enjoyed the book of Joshua? Have you girls enjoyed the book of jo- Joshua? <laughs> girls? Yeah, all right, just making sure. Well, we, uh, we come to close out the book of Joshua. They said it would never happen, and it's going to happen. And uh, you've heard the announcement. We reached out to Pastor Poncho. Uh, Poncho and I go way back. I mean, we really do. Um, we're not, we're, we're okay with our age. The, the, the aches and the pains we're never okay with, but we're okay because we're both still young at heart. We're still handsome. So it doesn't, it doesn't that was a joke, but it doesn't uh, affect us. But we do have a lot of years together. And uh, early on, just driving out to leadership meetings together and uh, really the Lord planting his vision and his calling in Pancho's heart around the same time as he was doing that with me, uh, Pancho Montebello, myself, and uh, La Mirada at the time. And uh, I always have this vivid picture of uh, Pancho, who became you know, just a very close friend and is still is. But we had just acquired this property. He probably doesn't remember this. But we were driving back from somewhere, and I go, hey, let me show you this property. We were leasing it and fixing it up. And um, we just drove around it, and there was a liquor store, and there was all these retail things. This was an old Alpha Beta that was about to be condemned. And, and, uh, and I just remember a couple days later, I, I came back over to look and drive the property myself. And when I came around the back, Pancho was here on his own, no one was here, and he had his hand on the building and he was praying over it. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's what we need to surround ourselves with right there. And so through the journey of God uh, leading and guiding him and Millie through uh, a Bible study there uh, at Taylor Ranch and then to their first building and to where they are currently now, uh, watching God do all of that, watching their family uh, be blessed and, and, and grow older and have marriages and all of that um, on both sides. It's been exciting, and uh, it's just a, a good opportunity to say, let's invite a good friend to our church, uh, someone who's loved us and prayed for us and been here for us in so many different ways, uh, Pastor Poncho Juarez. Come on up, Poncho. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Arigato. Good evening. Would you mind standing? A word from our sponsor. (laughs) A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 24. Now, there was a dispute among the apostles as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? It is not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as the one who serves. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you, Lord, for your your grace, your kindness, your benevolence, your tolerance, your long-suffering, your love, your joy, your peace, your kindness, your provision. Lord, I wish I had more words. May you bless us with your presence. May you speak to our very heart in whatever station in life we're going through. Only you, Lord, know our private world. Even our spouses may not know what's in our hearts, but you do. And Lord, we expose our hearts to you. May you govern it. May you harness it. May you alleviate it. May you relieve it. May you give us your peace. And may your Holy Spirit touch each and every one of us in a wonderful, sovereign, wonderful, divine way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Lance. It's such a blessing for me to go over this chapter that you've been going through the entire book. You already heard about the sterling character of this man named Joshua. He's a wonderful man. 
But we come now to the culmination, the finality of his life. I've entitled this message, Joshua's Swan Song. A swan song is a song of great sweetness said to be sung by a dying swan. It also applies to a farewell appearance or a final act or pronouncement, kind of like the last curtain call. We saw that in the book of Acts with Paul the Apostle in Acts chapter 20, where he gathers all the elders and he says, you will not see my face anymore. And they begin to weep. It was a very emotional time. And Paul gave him a warning. He goes, listen, after I leave, there are going to be savage wolves. They're going to enter your fellowship. They're going to rip you apart. Be careful. Be attentive. You will not see my face anymore. And the Bible says, there in the port of Miletus, grown men begin to weep and they cry over each other. Their, their head was in someone else's neck. And it was just a crying fest, a very emotional situation. Now, I'm at that age now <laughs> where it's a reality for me. I'm not in the fourth stage. Uh, people have never heard of the fourth stage. Uh, when you're, you're in the fourth stage. Anybody heard that term, fourth stage? Raise your hand if you have. Wow, only one. I didn't know. Two, three, two. Now I have three. See, you didn't know. Fourth age is when you, like when you reach over 85 years old. So I'm at the third stage right now. So I feel what Joshua is going through here right now. I never realized we were going to get old. We were young back then. I've known Lance for over probably 37 years. And he's much younger than me, way younger than me. Way younger than me. But here is Joshua's farewell, farewell message. Now, we know of his sterling character because God chose him. We are told in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verse 9. Now, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of spirit and wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him, and he did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, we see... Again, the character of Joshua was extremely superb. He was a son, Joshua, the son of Nun. He was a slave. He was born during the weary years of bondage in this nation of, of Egypt. He became a soldier. Joshua was preeminent as a military leader. But most of all, he became a servant slash leader. Now, in a moment, we'll read the summary of chapter 24. There are four movements the first movement is he gives a summary of what God has done for the children of Israel. And as he's done the summary, the next thing, it's a symbol, a monument, because they're going to make an oath of allegiance. And then you have the third movement, the death of Eleazar and Joshua. Joshua dies at 110 years old. And then you have the finality where they finally, there's a sacred interment the people of God begin to bury the bones of one named Joseph. They've been carrying the bones over the wilderness for over 50 years. Moses, when he left, when he left Egypt, he demanded from Pharaoh, I want to take uh, Joseph's bones. Because Jacob, when he went to, his, to Egypt, he made a promise to the children, take my bones back home. And Joseph, being the prince of Egypt at that time, when and they had a massive, beautiful funeral for Jacob there in the sacred land. Joseph, as he was getting older, he made, he made the children of, of Jacob, says, make a promise to me that when I die, you're, the Lord's going to come back. He's going to take us home. Take my bones back. So Moses takes them. And all throughout the wilderness, there the bones of Joseph are being carried. Moses can't get into the promised land. So who takes over? Joshua. Joshua. He had a sacred name, a sacramental name change. His name was Hoshea. Hoshea. But then his name was changed to Jehoshua, which means salvation. So there you see a symbol of, of Moses, the law, and he couldn't get into the promised land. And yet we see Joshua. The name is Joshua, Joshua which means Jesus, which means salvation. So it was Joshua that went into the promised land and he was carrying the bones. And finally, here in chapter 24, the last 
The last part, four of the four movements, is they finally bury the bones of Joseph. Son, slave, soldier, but he was a servant leader. If you read through the whole chapter of, of the whole book of Joshua, you see the development of Joshua. He wasn't always a leader. He was always behind. He was a, what they call a second fiddle or the second banana. There's nothing wrong with being an assistant. He was an assistant to Moses. And that's what the title of Joshua is. He was a servant. We don't know how old he was. But there's a man by the name, a very reliable historian. His name is Joseph Flavius Josephus. He puts Joshua's age in three quarters. He said he was 45 years old when he left the land of Egypt with Moses, 45 years old. 40 years in the wilderness, that's 85. And then 25 years in the land of Canaan, the promised land, fighting in the conquest. So there you have 110 years old. But he was also a spy. You remember that among 11, 11 others who were chosen to search out the land. And there was only him and another OG by the name of Caleb. The other 10, they, they got all crazy. And they said, oh, no, there, there, there's giants in Lahabra. There's giants everywhere in Whittier. <laughs> but these two gentlemen said, hey, man, why are you freaking people out, man? That's East LA version. That's not, that's not, that's not what it reads there. Why are you freaking people out, man? We can take them because God is with us. What an honor. And they're the only two that were able to make it into the promised land. All, all the others had died in the wilderness. So you have a spy, and again, you have a sacramental name change. Again, Hosea means deliverer, but the name was changed to Jehoshua, salvation. So he was also, believe it or not, he was also a savior. Now, when we think of a savior, we think of Jesus Christ, the savior, but a lifeguard can save your life. He's a savior. A paramedic can save your life. A doctor can save your life. And you can become a savior. I've seen people... I saw a man jump in the L.A. River last week. He jumped to save a, a dog. Crazy. He just jumped for it. He went for, and he saved the little guy. He got bit. And then he, he, the helicopter came and the, the dog got scared. And, and so he was angry at the paramedic. He was angry at the helicopter people. He said, man, you messed it up. I had the dog. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a savior. So, so Joshua was a savior he, he was representing, Moses represented the law, but Joshua got salvation to take him into the land. Also, he was a statement with such nobility, unselfish statesmanship. Joshua is revealed here. And then he was a model senior citizen. Amazing. Now, before we get into this chapter, I want to make sure that you understand what is taking place. Joshua calls for a solemn, sacred assembly in chapter four, chapter 24. We read in chapter 24, if you're there, Joshua 24. This is what we read. Bear with me. Forgive me. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. So there you have a solemn, sacred assembly. Notice the place, Shechem. Shechem is a sacred, it's a sacred city. It's a sacred place. From, starting from Abraham, it's a sacred burial place. It's a sacred hollow ground. So he calls them to this place. Now, if you read chapter 23, in chapter 23, first of all, he has another personal assembly. And the Bible tells us there in Joshua 23, 1, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua was old, advanced in years. That was the motivation. The motivation, he realized, uh, I don't have any more vim. V-I-M. That's a new word I learned. Vim. V-I-M. Vim means a lost energy. I'm getting old. And that's a reality. If you, start, if you think you're, you're young and you're 50, you're already old. 
AARP is after you. You're going to start getting letters. And pretty soon you realize that after 50 years old, you turn around, you blink, and you're 60 years old. You go, oh, my. After 60, 70, oh, my. Fast, fast. We change. We're dying. I was not born bald. I had hair like Farrah Fawcett back in the days. <laughs> but it happens. It's called degeneration. There are some people that get very desperate, especially when people start losing their hair or, or they start getting older. They, they freak out. And, and I noticed that elderly people, in my experience, personal experience, when I speak to elderly people without Jesus Christ, most of them are very bitter. They're resentful about life. They have regrets. They wish they can turn the hands of time. They wish they can. They wish they could have, and they should have. They could have. And they live with misery, and they live with regret. I don't have that. I do not live with regret. Sometimes my children, I have five adult children. Sometimes they tell me, oh, Dad, you messed us up. No. No, 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 no. The world messed you up. The devil messed you up. Your friends messed you up. I didn't mess you up. I brought you in the right way. Uh, don't, don't take it on me. I'm not going to go to my grave and say, oh, I raised my children wrong. Hey, I tried. Very well, I tried. I don't have any regrets. My only regret, I wish I was younger so I could continue to serve the Lord. That's my only regret. But I realized, just like Joshua, the Bible tells us in Joshua 23, 2, so Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And he said to them, I am old advanced in age. So there you have the first private meeting with the heads and the elders of Israel. And Joshua lays into them. He says, listen, man. He says, God's been good to us. Now, earlier, you see, Joshua was old. In Joshua chapter 13, verse 1, we go back all the way back. And the Bible says, when Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, let's see what the Lord told him. He says, you are now very old. Duh. And God says, and, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. What does that mean? It means that he was all raggedy. He was already old, deflated. He was wasted away. He was brittle. But God told him, there's still things to do. So where did he get this energy from? Where did he get this vim? Where did he get this, this gusto? God was with him. We sang a song. May the Lord be with you. May his face shine upon you. May he be with you. And when God is with you, if God is with you, what can be against you? And what is God is for you. God gives you the ability. He gives you the strength. Think for a moment. Everything you possess, everything, everything, everything you possess right now, everything, your house, your property, your bank account, your, your credentials, your station in life, whatever you, whatever, whatever you possess. And you may say, it was blood, sweat, and tears. I know, but he gave you health for blood, sweat, and tears. Whatever you have, God gave that to you. Amen. Everything, your children, God gave them to you. God has given you everything. You can take it with you. You can say, you know what, man? God didn't give me nothing. I worked my, my tail off. That's true. But God gave you health. God gave you the, the, the ability to think and to have the notion to make a business or to be sensational in life. But God has given you everything. See, Joshua was told, you're not done. Our writer said, the greatness of duty and the limits of time together urge upon us the need for diligent service. We must not postpone the commencement of work. Joshua began to serve God in his youth, yet his work was not finished in his old age. Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the grave where you are going... There's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. What is he saying? Poetically, this is a poetical book. So what Solomon is saying in Ecclesiastes is, while you're still alive, while you're still mechanical, while you're still movable, while you're still expandable, while you're still able to have mechanics, ambulatory skills, do something with your life. Don't just kick the dirt. Oh, I'm retired. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what to do. There's so much to do. 
There are people that are idle all their lives. If you're a Christian, you, you are to serve the Lord in whatever capacity. And no matter what station in life you're a Christian, you, you must be a servant. And that's what this whole point is in chapter 24. Because once again, like in chapter 23, Joshua gives a summary of what God has done. And he repeats it again in chapter 4. So the summary is like, okay, we know that God did all that. But what is exactly that Joshua is trying to tell the people? He says, God has been faithful all these years. He says, you choose. Who are you going to serve? Whether you want to serve the gods of your fathers when on the other side of the river, Euphrates River, whether you want to serve those gods or do you want to serve the gods of the present Amorites where we stand here. He said, you choose this day, but as for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. That's a very moving situation here. So in chapter 23, verse 14, see, I need to prep you for chapter 24. In verse 14, see, in chapter 13, he's already old, but this now is really old. In chapter 23, verse 14, he says, now I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. Again, you read that, so I'm not a poet. What does that mean? I'm now I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. This is why we have different versions of the Bible. Because that sounds poetic. I'm going to be potted like a plant in the dirt. No. This is what this, another version says. Soon I will die. Another version says I will die soon. As everyone must. Another version says, now my time has come to die. There is the swan song. He already has the premonition, I'm already going to die. But before I die, I want to make a declaration. So he gathers all the people. I don't know if you've ever been in a real life drama of a swan song. I have. Where someone who is bedridden, someone who, who is... Uh, is uh, under, when they're about to die, what do you call it? Hospice, forgive me. I did drugs, I did a, a lot of drugs. <laughs> and some cells are gone. But I have not touched any since May 17, 1975. But the effects are still there, forgive me. When they go through hospice, sometimes they, they realize it's time. Before death comes, knocks on my door, I, I can see death coming across they have no fear in their eyes. They're, they're, they're stalwart. They're committed. They're faithful. And they know they're about to go to the other side. They're in the precipice of going to eternity. And they have Jesus in their heart. I've seen the boldness. I gather everyone, all the grandchildren and all the people that gather around grandpa and grandma. And the matriarch and the patriarch she said, listen to me. <laughs> And she says, don't argue with each other anymore. Time is not on your side. And don't worry about money. Live. Your... And so it's a beautiful swan song. And then pretty soon she says, I'll see you on the other side by the Jordan River. Wow, beautiful. Wow. And yet I've seen the other extreme where people don't have God and they're about to die. It's a misery. It's a horrifying drama-rama. It's despair, this inconsolable grief. They have no hope. They have no comfort. They have no assurance. And, and they're fearful to get on the other side. And I've been there when I touched their hands. I said, would you like to make peace with God? You don't have that much time. And I've had the experience of leading people to the Lord. One time there was an 85, 86-year-old man. He was a buzzer, they told me. Buzzer, buzzer, a buzzer. He was a mean guy. One family is Christian, the other Christian, the other family is not Christian. You know how that is, right? You, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and it's very delicate, very fragile, because there's a family who, they're in the, in the, um, they're at the hospital, or in hospice, and they, they call the whole family to come. And so in the gathering, you have people that are Christian, non-Christian. So the Christians are the ones that call me. The non-Christians, they call their, their own religion representatives and they charge. Oh, they don't have no time for you. 
So they call us, and you were going. We go. We go. I got there, and the Christian, the Christian mob gets me. He goes, yeah, Grandpa is nasty. Grandpa has a filthy mouth. So they gave me this great severe warning about this man. So I walked in there. You know, I'm not afraid of profanity. I'm a former Marine. I, profanity is second language. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not concerned. So I was waiting for it, and I saw this frail old man, unlike what they described to me. He, just, he was just scared. And he goes, are you coming to pray for me? Absolutely. I have oil. I'm going to want you with oil, too. And I said, have you made peace with God? He goes, no, but I want to. Yes, like that. No fighting, no argument. You know, is there a flood? And, uh, what cross, the chicken or the egg? None of that stupid questions. <laughs> None of stupid questions people ask. This man is about to enter eternal life. He needed eternal words. And I read from Jesus. In my father's house are many mansions. Wow. It may sound foolish to you or redundant to you, but when you're dying, those words are powerful, man. So I shared that with him. Would you like to make peace? He goes, yes. And he received the Lord. And no more than five minutes, he, he graduated. So all the family got together. And then the Christians are making eye contact with me. I'm making eye contact with them. And I, and I just smile. <laughs> between us, between us. While the others who are not Christians, the sobbing and the drama, the inconsolable grief and the madness starts because there's no hope. They have no peace. Well, all of us who knew Jesus, we didn't want to make scandal. It's like, yippee none of that. <laughs> but we were content and we were happy, sad, but he, he's like the, like the thief on the cross. <laughs> it's like that. And I stepped out. I went to my car. And, I, and then I had a moment. I said, what was that all about? This guy lives like hell all of his life. All of his life. All 87 years of it. And in 15 seconds of his life, he makes peace with God. I said, Lord, how can that be? Here I am still struggling in life, trying to fight the good fight. It's a hassle, man. And I heard the Lord, what is that to you? I still pay you the same. What is that to you? And I walked away with a valuable lesson. Lesson of life. Lesson of God's goodness. So Joshua, like this old man, he's realizing, I'm, I'm about to die. And so thus he gathers all of Israel. And it's called Joshua's farewell address to all Israel. Again, four movements. See, I'm prepping you. In a moment, we'll read it. Because you say, man, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot. It's repetitious. We'll read it. I, I read it already. I read it. It takes only like around a minute and a half, two minutes to read it. So don't freak like, when are you going to read that? That's a long. No. <laughs> I read it. I will read it. And it takes like two to three minutes reading all of 33 verses. But let me give you the summary. First, you have four movements. The summary verses 1 to 25. Joshua again reviews God's faithfulness and goodness towards Israel. And in verses 1 through 13, what the Lord has done. Verses 14 to 24, what Israel must do. The second witness, a witness or a monument, a symbol that Joshua sets up a large stone as a symbol to remind the Israelites of their promise they're about to make in verses 25 and 28. The third movement you see in verse 29 and 31 the deaths of Joshua and Eleazar, the priest, and the sacred internment there in verse 32, Joseph's bones. So here now we read it in context. Let's read the summary, verse 1. Now you know why Joshua is calling this assembly. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel for their heads, for their judges, for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all people, now notice how Joshua says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, the moment a prophet of God, he mouthed those, those, those seven words, thus says the Lord God. He becomes now an instrument, a vocal instrument, a mouthpiece, if I may, for God. So even though Joshua is speaking, the moment he says, thus says the Lord, 
He may be speaking, but it's the Spirit of God. Why is that? Well, you see, back then, they did not have the Word. They did not have the Word. So the Spirit of God had to speak to human agents. So Joshua, as he says, gather all, gather hither, gather, 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 gather. And the moment he, I don't know the position, the posture, but he says, thus says the Lord God, God speaking. Now here's the voice of God. Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river. That's the east side of Euphrates in old times. And they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river. I led him through the land, all the land of Canaan and multiplied descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you. And the Egyptians brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, I would, I would challenge you to, to put that. How many times the word I, 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 I call this the I, I, I chapter. Because as God says, I did it, I did it for you. I did, I did, I did, I did. You didn't do nothing. I did everything for you. So this is the I-I-I chapter. Verse 9. Then they, like the son of Sippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Ber, to curse you. But I will not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you, so I deliver you out of his hand. Then you went from the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. All the Amorites, Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Adesites, the Hittites, the Gigatites, the Shevetites, the Shutites, and the, the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. Verse 12, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. So there was a conquest. Now, people debate over, are there real hornets? Did God really utilize hornets? And there are some people, they have some far out, some far out explanation. They were not hornets. They were actually, it was just a, 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 an emanation of fear and this, like hornets. I don't know, man. I'm just a simple guy. God said hornets, they're hornets. Amen. Right? I mean, he, he allowed a donkey to speak. A whale, what's the problem? I believe there were hornets. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been attacked. But I got attacked one day at a children's ministry outreach up in Big Bear. I hit a, I hit a hollow tree and yellow jackets came out. And, man, when I returned those kids home, they are all beat up. They looked like they just fought Muhammad Ali, all of them. They were all beat up. I apologize. We are all bitten by them. They're ferocious. So God did it, and he reminds it, but it was not your sword or with your bow. In verse 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor, <laughs> cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served in the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answer in unison, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us out and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way that we went among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwell in the land. We also serve the Lord God for he is our God. Blah, blah, blah. God is good. Blah, blah, blah. God is good. Blah. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord. Whoa. Why? We will 
serve the Lord. We, we, he, we worship Him. He, he is our best. He's the main squeeze of our life. He's the, he's the best. Joshua, if I can paraphrase, he's saying, shut up. You cannot serve the Lord. He knew something. You're worshiping God. You have Him with you. See, they carry with Him. They still carry them with Him. They were faithful to God. But just like Jesus, he said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot. You cannot serve God in mammon. You cannot serve two masters. For you will either de decline one, depress one, and you will gain one. You cannot serve two masters. That's the point that Joshua is making. All these people say, no, no, we will serve the Lord. Absolutely, Joshua. Oh, yeah, God did everything for us. Oh, no, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Shut up. You cannot serve the Lord. And here's the reason why. For God is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, but no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to all the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourself to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you. There it is. There it is. You cannot serve God. You serve God when you realize that, that, that there's no other God before you. What did God redeem you from? I've been a Christian since 1975. I have a tendency to forget what God brought me from. I cannot afford to forget what it is to be without God. I cannot forget the craziness, the sadness, the depression, the loneliness, the dejection, the oppression, the psychological terror, the fear, the sorrow, the guilt, the shame. I cannot forget that. I cannot forget how I was so drunk and so loaded that I would cry out in my car, God, help me. He did. He has. Mental hygiene. Woohoo! Judicial reasoning. God taught me how to read. God has a promise for me. I may fall, but he picks me up all the time. His grace, abundant. His love, indescribable. His tolerance, poof, over the roof. I don't know. But here you see, they made a, they made a decision. Verse 24. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve. And his voice we will obey. So Joshua, here's the third movement. Here, here's the second movement, the witness. So Joshua made a covenant with the people. Uh, made a covenant with the, that day and made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. A statue is not a form of a human being. A statue is a law. So he made a statue, a law, and an ordinance in Shechem. Then to ensure it, Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the way of the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness to us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart each to his own inheritance so there you see the 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 third movement the second movement we're about to enter the third movement the deaths but it's very interesting that joshua if you look at your bible the next book is called judges when you look at the bible it's very simple it has it has it has 12 eras very simple the first nine you have creation in every era there's a key figure and a place like the first era is creation. Who is the key figure in creation? Other than God, who is? Adam. Where at? East L.A. or the Garden of Eden? <laughs> the Garden of Eden, right? And then we have the patriarchs. We have Abraham, Canaan. The third one, Exodus. That will be Moses. Where? Egypt. The fourth one, we have conquests. 
That's what you saw right here, Joshua and Canaan. And we enter to the fifth era, the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, though, Samson is the key figure. And, and that was in, in Canaan. The people of God said, we don't want to have judges anymore. We want a what? A king. So now you have the kingdom era. And then you have the exile. That will be, that will be Daniel in Babylonia. And then the return after 70 years in captivity. That will be Ezra in Jerusalem. And then there's 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's amazing. That is amazing. It, it, it boggles me. Listen, our nation in, in, in this July the 4th is, is going to be 247 years as a nation. 247 years. If we were the children of Israel, God has not spoken to us since 1622. And we still have 247 years to go. Think of the silence. There are, there are 40 there are, there are 40 generations in 400 years. You're talking about, you have family back in 1630. Do you know them? This is the silent, it, it was a silent, means that God did not speak, God did not have a prophet, there was no apparition, God did not speak to the nation of Israel. There were silent years, biblically. It's called intertestamental period between the old and the new. A lot of things happened in 400 years. Historically, it was loud. The Romans came in, the Greeks, Alexander the Great. A lot of things happened. But as far as God, he did not speak to anyone. You know when he broke his silence? Oh, Lord, have mercy. He broke his silence as an old man, an old man, by the name of Zacharias. The Bible said he was serving the Lord to light incense. God has not spoken to anyone when all of a sudden, He's this, this NFL player from heaven. An angel by the name of Gabriel. Zachariah. And he freaked out. Do not fear. Do not fear. He appeared to Mary. Do not fear. Do not fear. The angel appeared. Do not fear for unto you a Savior has been born today. God broke his silence by introducing the Messiah, the servant of all. He came in as a servant. We are to be servants of the Lord. The Bible tells us that Abraham, Isaac, and Israel are called God's servants. Exodus 32, 13. Deuteronomy 34, 5. Moses was a servant of the Lord. Numbers verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were in the face of the earth. 2 Samuel 7 and 5, go and tell my servant David, that says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? 2 Kings 21, 10, the Lord calls all of his prophets servants. Jesus is our model. He came to serve. Joshua died as a servant. We are told here, finally, in verse 29, it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died being 110 years old. And they bury him within the border of his inheritance at Tibnasserah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gosh. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now here comes the last movement. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had brought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And then another, another personal VIP, uh, the son of Aaron, Eliezer, the priest, he died too. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. Now, what you get out of this swan song, at least what I get, Joshua says, got to serve somebody. Got to serve somebody. Jesus came to serve. And I close with this vision, the vision that I see in John chapter 13. Here's the Lord and Savior, our master and Lord. He begins to wash the disciples' feet. That's a job of a servant, the most lowest servant called a douloi. There's seven kinds of servants in the New Testament. The one at the bottom rung called a douloi. And that's the role that would wash people's feet. There was no skill. 
There's no credential for that. All you do is when people come in, you just clean their feet and wash their feet. Jesus took that role. He girded himself, got a towel, got a basin, and went in and washed people's feet. And he says, you call me Lord, and so I am. If I'm washing your feet, you ought to also wash other people's feet. Not that we're supposed to wash feet. That's not the principle. The principle is that he humbled himself. And this is how know when we as a church, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ and we serve the community, the community that is dying. Look at America, man. Look at what's happening. I'm an immigrant, man. I'm an outsider looking in. I'm an immigrant. By, I became an American citizen by choice. I joined the United States Marine Corps, man. I, I have a right. I defended this nation. I love this nation. America's still good. Americans are still good. Don't let the media say otherwise. The church is still the church. And may the Lord give you strength so you can serve the Lord. Things that happen in this church, all the things, there's servants around. It doesn't, it doesn't just appear. Somebody just poof. There are people behind the scenes that want to serve the Lord. What's, what is a servant? A serving God means to serve God and follow God means to recognize his lordship over our lives. We have to acknowledge the fact that we live under his sovereignty and providence. He is our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer. He is our master and we are his servants. It is therefore imperative that we submit to his authority. Servants. Remarkable to see how Jesus, I read to you from Luke chapter 22. He asked this question, who is greater, he who sits or he who serves? The, the, the answer is obvious. If I'm sitting down, I'm the master. You're serving me. And yet he said, yet I'm serving you. What a role model. Serving the Lord. Are you serving the Lord? That's just a rhetorical question. Don't get angry. Rhetorical question. If not, I'll leave you with the words of another prophet. He said this. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble, you may like to dance, you may be the heavyweight champion of the world, you may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you a doctor, they may call you thief and chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Mr. Robert Zimmerman, a.k.a. Bob Dylan. You have to serve somebody. Jesus said, we are all servants. Either we're serving an entity that is not God, or we're serving Jesus Christ. Go out and serve. It will do you good. Three things happen when you serve. First of all, God is being glorified. Secondly, the church is being benefited from your service. But the third thing, you will grow. You will be edified because you are giving of your time. In other words, you are taking every opportunity while you have breath in your lungs. As long as I have breath in my lungs, Lord, I will continue to proclaim and explain the gospel. I'm still in ministry. I want to be a servant. Lord willing, till the day that, that like, like Joshua, when the Lord tells me, Poncho, come on over. Yes, sir. And we have a different attitude. And so today I spent almost eight hours in uh, urgent care in ER with my wife. She's okay. But, but eight hours. And I saw things in, in ER. I think you, you and I should go to the ER and stay there for two hours. And you realize how blessed we are. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord watch over you. Maybe you're here today. And I, I, I went over Pastor Lance like four minutes. I apologize. But maybe in like the old man in the, old man in the, in the hospital. Maybe you're here. I, I, I don't want you to feel like you're stepped on or marginalized. I'm not a Christian, Pancho. I'm not a Christian. Well, not yet. But in the next 30 seconds, you may be. It takes, it takes 11 seconds to receive the Lord. Watch this. Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I repent. Come into my heart, Lord, and make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. I beat it. I was watching the clock. It's like nine seconds. 
So how about you? So without closing our eyes, nothing. God sees your heart, right? Without closing our eyes, I'm going to say that prayer. If that's you, you receive that prayer. And in your heart, so you won't have to get embarrassed, in your heart, you repent. Say, Lord Jesus, maybe you're watching online, an archive, it's for you too. And so, in your heart, if you, have, if you want to receive the Lord, just pray this, okay? This is any prayer, but this is basically this. It's called the sinner's prayer. Father, forgive me. Father, I repent of my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I accept Jesus into my heart as my Savior, as my governor. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a new person with a new heart, a new mind, and a clean conscience. And put my name in the book of life, in Jesus' name. Amen. You said that prayer, welcome to the family. Just tell someone else, hey, I did that prayer, man. Amen. Let's all stand. Pastor Lance, are you coming over? Lance? Lance, a cooker. I don't know what protocol is. Oh, forgive me. Are you, are you closing? I'm closing. Tell me I can close it. Father, we thank you for this evening. I thank you for the generosity from this pulpit and from the pastor of this church. May you bless, may you bless Calvary La Habra, her people, her endeavors, for their commitment, their loyalty to you, to this community, to the world around them. May you be with each and every person that's here. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We, we honor you. May we now be stirred to serve in some capacity for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you so much.